Last week we started a new series uh, called Crazy Grace for a Crazy World, and we kind of right out of the gate, we talked about what grace is, and we said this, is that grace is not a theory. It's not some abstract thing that we've heard about, we know the word, uh, you know, we say grace, you know, for dinner or something. It's not a theory that grace is actually an, a, a living encounter with a living God. In a word, it's this, that grace is Jesus, that the embodiment of all of God's grace came through Jesus. And so as people, you and I, as people that have experienced a great, and you may not realize it, but you have experienced a great measure of grace. So as people who have experienced these great measures of grace, what we have to do is we have to begin to become distributors of great grace. So it's not like I, I take and I receive all of this grace and I know that what God has done for me has been amazing and then kind of hoard it up and save it. No, I take that and I transfer it. And so I become this beacon of grace in my community, this beacon of grace in my school and beacon of grace in my workplace. And the reason I'm able to do this is because I know what it's like to be a recipient of grace. And so grace is going to call us to do some pretty amazing things. It's going to call us to do some things that are incredible difference makers. And they're not going to be just incredible difference makers in our own lives. Each of us can look at God's grace and go, man, that has been a major difference maker in my life. But what's going to happen, the more we get in tune with what God is trying to do and has done and continues to do, we're going to say not only does it make an incredible difference in my life, it begins to make an incredible difference in the lives of the people around me. But... There are going to be moments that that extension of grace is going to be really, really difficult. There are going to be moments where extending grace is hard. Extending grace is anything but easy. Extending grace requires way more patience than I typically have. It's, it's going to require me to step into some really messy situations that I'm not comfortable with, I don't know a whole lot about, and I don't know what to do with. It's going to require me to step into some arenas with some people who aren't like me and maybe some people I don't like. And so the question comes, where am I going to get this power? Where am I going to get this strength? Where am I going to be able to, to step into the source of something that I don't feel like I have on my own? Where's the source to step into what we feel like and we think is right, but we're not sure we're fully capable of doing? Well, I don't want to just come out and tell you. I want to talk football. Can we do that? I know everybody's not a football fan, but I think you'll understand and get where we're going. 1988, there was a really cool story that came out of Mississippi. There was a, a, a county called Tishomingo, and they were playing a high school called Faulkner. And what was at stake was a berth in the 1A Class A championship into the playoffs. So they were playing for a berth in the playoffs. And here's a few things you need to know about the story that I think makes it really cool. Their, their coach at the time was a guy named David Herbert. And David had Lou Gehrig's disease, and so what they would do for Coach Herbert is they would pull his pickup truck right next to the, to the field, and then he would coach from his wheelchair inside of the pickup truck. So he would, you know, they'd put it up in the bed of the truck. His son, uh, his, his son uh, Dave, was the quarterback, and they had a really outstanding running back by the name of Shane Hill at the time. So here's the scenario. It's late fourth quarter, seconds left. Tishomingo has the ball on the 40-yard line. They're up two points. Now, if you know anything about football, 
if you have seconds left, you're up and score, and you have the ball, what's the play call? You kneel. It's victory. It's done, right? I mean, what can happen in eight seconds? So the play call comes in from coach, and his son comes trotting back to the huddle, and he tells them the play call. And immediately, one of the linemen says, that doesn't make any sense. You must have heard him wrong. Your dad is crazy. I'm not sure what's happening. So what happens in all of this is that they end up with a delay of game penalty because they're arguing inside the huddle. So Dave runs back over to the sideline, talks to his dad. His dad whispers, and he comes back out. So he tells, and they go under center. So here's what happens. The ball is snapped. Dave hands the ball off to Shane, this outstanding running back, who stops, turns, and runs 55 yards in the opposite direction. He runs all the way into the opponent's end zone and takes a knee. Again, if you don't know anything about football, that's called a safety. And a safety is worth two points. So now all of a sudden... The crowd is completely stunned. You were up two points. Why in the world would you run in the opposite direction and give them two points? Now they look up at the scoreboard. Time has expired. The game has ended in regulation, and the score is 16 to 16. And people are booing. People are th- they don't know what to do with this. And people are like, the old man is crazy. He has lost it. This doesn't make any sense. What possibly could he be thinking? And Coach knew something that no one else knew. Because of some games that were were played earlier in the season, the playoff berth was between Faulkner and Tishomingo, and they were playing each other. But he knew this because of a tiebreaker system that the point spread needed in order to make the playoffs and leapfrog them was more than just a win. It wasn't that they just had to get the win. They had to win by more than four points because it would have equaled things. And so here's his options. Now think about this. High school football. He's looking at the 40-yard line with seconds to go. If you've watched high school football, you know that typically a 40-yard pass or play is pretty near impossible, right? He also knows the strength of his kicker's leg. See, a field goal would put him at five, but he's going, what high school kid typically can hit a 55-yard field goal? So he says, I don't like either of the odds. I don't like either of those options, but I like overtime. And so he, he, he sends in the signal, Shane runs 55 yards into the opposite directions, they roll the dice, they go into overtime. They get the ball first, they march down within a couple of minutes. Shane Hill, on the two-yard line, gets the handoff and runs in, and Tishomingo wins 22-16, covering the four-point spread. Now, Shane Hill ends the game with negative 29 rushing yards. crowd cheers, and the next day when the paper writes about it, everybody has a moment where they go, oh, I didn't know that. It's a crazy story, especially if you're an avid football fan, you go, what in the world? But you know, I don't know about you, but what I realize is that sounds a lot like the cross to me. The sun 
Jesus gets a play call. And the world, I'm sure, and even Leanne talked about this moment for just a second, when, 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 when he goes, I don't want to do this. And as we see this play call unfold, it seems like defeat. I mean, even those that were closest around him, Peter, James, and John, they've scattered. They all think it's defeat. I mean, the play call calls for him to be arrested, treated like a criminal that he's not, even to the point that he is tried in a real faulty trial system. And then he has, has been scheduled for execution. The day comes, he's marched up a hill, he's pinned on a cross, and he's dead. It's over, right? I mean, what kind of plan is this? What kind of play call is this? And, and you look at this and go, your dad must be crazy. I mean, we go, I thought God was wise. I thought God was all-knowing. I mean, where's the wisdom in this? And in a culture that was, was what, what Paul was writing to in Corinthians, in this, this Greco-Roman culture, it would have been a culture that thrived and hung on wisdom. They chased wisdom. They thought it was the skill most needed for life and living life to the fullest. It's a lot like ours. It's this, we want wisdom, we want enlightenment. And they would have looked at this and thought, this is crazy. It makes zero sense. They would have thought, this is foolishness. This doesn't make sense even on a small level. This doesn't make sense on any level. And so Paul, in that culture that chases wisdom and wants to know where is it that wisdom really comes from and how is it that wisdom displays, they would have looked at this and went, there's no wisdom in this. And in this culture, and in our culture, Paul comes in and he hits them head on with a display of God's wisdom. See, all of this as we unfold it this morning, it's God's wisdom. He says, listen, at first it may appear to be plain crazy, but when you begin to lean in and you begin to see it unfold and you begin to see what God really does, it's actually a full display of God's power. It's a full display of God's sovereignty. It's, it's a full display of God's vision. It's a full display of God's wisdom. See, through the cross, here's what happens. God unleashes crazy grace. And he unleashes crazy grace on us. And he unleashes crazy power to us. 1 Corinthians 1, we kind of covered the first of this last week, but I want to pick up in verse 18. Listen to the wording here. Paul says, For the message of the cross... Is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He said, yeah, it doesn't make sense for those who won't lean in for a second, but for those of us who are being saved, it becomes a transfer of power. It becomes something that is a power source for us. A couple things about this. Look at this. He says, first of all, he says, it's to those who are being saved. And here's what you need to know about that language. This is not a one-time action. It's a continual, eternal action. Derwin Gray says it like this. He says that salvation is an eternal action that takes place in time. So he says, listen, for those of you who are being saved, you need to know that God is a continuously saving kind of God. He's always doing it. He's always looking to do it. He says, listen, I'm looking to do it anytime with anyone. That God's grace in this, that I'm, I'm looking to, to, to exercise understanding, wisdom, and power to anyone at any time. And I don't know about you, but have you ever known someone that you look at and go, there is zero chance of saving that person? Now, you'd never say that, but you think it, right? 
You'd never walk up and go, you see her? She doesn't have a chance. But you'd look and go, there's zero chance. See, I knew someone like that. We'll call her Mary. If you're sitting next to a Mary, it's not her. I made up the name. Mary was an atheist. Her, her kids started to come through youth group years and years and years ago where I was doing some youth work. She was hard. Life had not been good. And she had become, because of these hard circumstances, she had become hard. She was hard on her kids. She was hard on her husband. She was hard to work with. Most of all, she was hard on herself. She had no room for God. She didn't believe in God. She didn't think that God had anything to offer her. Because she felt like, that, you know what, most, like everybody else around her, she thought that, you know, even if there was a God, he wouldn't have anything to do with me. And because everyone else around her thought those same things about her, they thought, well, there's no reason to really share it with her, right? Then I knew some ladies that came around and, you know, they never came to Mary and went, Mary, you know, we would love to study the Bible with you. No, they came to Mary and said, hey, we heard you hit a little rough patch at work. What can we do for you? Didn't even mention church. Just began to minister to her. Didn't call it ministry because that would have freaked her out. Just became friends with her. And here's the end of the story. I'm going to kind of fast forward. There was a but God moment. And while I looked at Mary, because I had to deal with her some because of her kids, I thought, even though I'd never say it, I thought, that, that's such a long shot. But God. But God. And over the course of a year, two years, she began to lean in. And God began to do things that I would never have been able to do. And God began to, to crack. Move that crack to an opening, and an opening led to this flood of new life that came in. And here's what happened. In doing this, the cross, the message of the cross, saved her. And in that, there was transformation that happened, and there was transfer that happened. In her life, what we began to see was there was transformation that took place in Mary's life where there were people around her went, what in the world has happened? This is impossible. This is crazy. I never thought, see, and, and we don't because we think we've got to bring about the change. But when God entered into that place, there was a, this great transformation where not only did she start living in a way that shocked everybody around her in the transformation, she even would admit, I never thought, much less anyone around me, that I was capable of these things. I never thought I could be loved. I never thought I could love myself. I never thought that I could put these things behind us. See, those of us who are being saved, see, we no longer see it as foolishness. We see it as power, and Mary saw it as power. She saw it as foolishness until that continuously saving God chased her down through some people and showed her that, listen, you're not too far gone. You are worthy. You are valuable. You are loved in these moments. See, it's wisdom. And we see this as we see, as we see it unfold, we see that Jesus becomes the embodiment of wisdom. And here's the beautiful thing about it. It's completely available. If you skip down to verse 30, still in the same context, listen to verse 30, and we're going to stay on 30 and 31 for the rest of our time. It is because of him, him being God, it is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. See, Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption, therefore... As it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I want you to hang on to a word right here. He says, those of you who are 
in Christ Jesus. He's saying, listen, there's a way in. For those of you who are on the outside saying, man, this is foolishness, he says, no, no, the more you lean in, what you're going to see is it's not just power, but you can be in to this. That it is fully accessible. It is fully available. Paul writes later on to the same crowd in 2 Corinthians. He's writing kind of a follow-up letter to the one we're going to spend this series in. He says later, he says, listen, therefore, if anyone is in Jesus, he's a new creation. He says the new has come and the old is gone. He writes to the Romans in a letter called Romans in your Bible. He says, listen, through Jesus or in Jesus, he says, you're no longer slaves. Now, he's writing to a culture that owns slaves, but he says, listen, you're still a slave. There are things in your life that has enslaved you. You are enslaved to your own fear. You're enslaved to your, to your own gluttony. You're enslaved. He says, listen, when you get in Christ, things change. He says, you are no longer slaves. He tells the people in Colossae in a letter called Colossians. See, these are all letters that he writes to personal people that he knows. In Colossians, he says this. He says, in Jesus, you've been made full. I love this. He writes to the Galatians. He says, so in Jesus... Again, he's showing them this picture of availability, that there's a way in. You don't have to stand on the outside. He says, in Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ, meaning, again, there was an avenue into Christ. He says, you have clothed yourself with righteousness. You have clothed yourself with Jesus. He says, in that there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's not a free or slave. There's not man or woman. He says, in that, he says, you are one in Jesus. See, Paul says, you're in. It's not just some elusive theoretical grace and power. He says, no, it's something that you get to live into. And he says, if it's not, if you're not living into it, he says, you can. You can. Jesus becomes the way. He makes a way. He even says about himself, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth, I am the life, and the reason that he can say those things is because Jesus was faithful to a covenant that you and I simply could not and cannot be faithful to. You see that? Jesus is faithful to a covenant that I can't. So in that knowledge of God, in the wisdom of God, he makes a way for me. See, the cross was not foolishness. It's a display of not just God's power, it's a display of his wisdom, knowing that you and I couldn't do what Jesus could do. So in this, Jesus becomes my validation. This is crazy stuff, right? But see, it's just the kind of crazy that God, again, knew that every single one of us would, knew, would need. And our past story and our stories that we're not proud of, those, those parts of our stories that we don't really make part of the conversation at a party, yeah, those stories, God says through Jesus, he says, that's not what's most important anymore. What's most important is that you turn the page and let's get to writing a new story. See, when you step into Jesus, you get to write a new story. There's renewal, there's second chance, there's crazy grace. And those things become available, and this is what really gives meaning to our story. And here's what I mean by that. See, transformation that happens from somewhere other than the source that we're able to provide, all of a sudden, a different story evolves. 
See, if I'm in control of whatever transformation, then I can tell the story with who at the center? Me. But when transformation happens from somewhere that there's no other explanation for it other than the wisdom, grace, and power of God, all of a sudden my story takes on a whole new meaning. It's those God did it moments. I don't know how it happened. I'm telling you, we were, we were two signatures away from a divorce. And here we sit, fully restored and happier than I've ever been. I don't know what happened. God did it. It's the moment. I had this yesterday with Stephen and Andy, uh, this beautiful wedding ceremony. If you don't know about it, just when they get back from their honeymoon, just ask. It's an amazing story of renewal and reconciliation. Forty years ago, they ended their marriage at 19, 20 years old, and it could not have been any uglier and any rockier. They don't have any contact for 40 years. A little over a year ago, they bump into each other. And when I say bump into each other, she stalked him on Facebook. Um, <laughs> she sent him a message out of nowhere. Not a word, not a peep in 40 years. And yesterday... I got to perform their wedding as God made it very evident that he is a God of restoration and reconciliation, second chances and renewal. That's a God did it moment. See, and there's going to be these moments where I look and go, there is zero explanation. I don't know how it is I kicked the habit. I don't know how it is that I I got some things back. I don't know what your situation is, but I know that, that when you begin to lean in to that power source that is beyond anything you can do on your own, and I'm not saying that, 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 that programming and things aren't important, that you, know, you don't have to do some things, but I'm saying in these moments where God brings you and authors you a different story, these God did it moments, only he could have done it. It was by his power. He saw something in me that I didn't even see at the moment in myself because he sees the big picture. That's what kind of play caller he is. And Paul says, let me give you three examples. And I know I'm about out of time, but let me give you three examples. Paul says, let me tell you what's going to happen. These are three moments. These are three instances. These are three situations and three elements and results that you absolutely, zero chance, you can somehow find these and master these and achieve these on your own. Look what he says back at verse 30. He says, you want to see this culmination? You want to see it in real life? You want to see it in real time? He says, in this... It is because of him, it's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, he says, so let me tell you that, let me tell you what that wisdom is. Here it is. He becomes our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. See, in this, these God did it moments, there's no way I could have gotten there without him. Jesus becomes my righteousness. You realize there's not a single thing you can do to become fully righteous. If you go back to Galatians 3 that I quoted a second ago, here's what he says. In Jesus, I am clothed in righteousness. Here's what this means. When God sees me, he sees Jesus. When God sees you, when he looks down and he sees clay, he sees Jesus. And he sees righteousness. He sees in these moments, he sees splendor. And he sees spotlessness. He sees blamelessness. And I don't know about you, but I'm telling you, I don't have a chance at that on my own. I didn't have a chance at that after, I don't know, age three. And in this moment, do you see the power that comes in that? He does something, he offers something that we have zero chance of getting any other way. It's kind of like a, a pair of Reebok Club C, C85s. And you go, this dude brings in shoes to more of his lessons than 
Let me tell you, one of the biggest fights I ever had in the playground was over some Reebok C85s. Got a brand new pair, warm school. Somebody stepped on them. When they stepped on them, they scuffed them, and it was on. Because I want my shoes to look white, spotless. For you sneakerheads, you know what I'm talking about. And I love that in these moments, God says, listen, you might have scuffed your shoe. You may not be white anymore because somebody stepped on you. But let me tell you, I can restore those things. I can make those things new. And so when I see those things, it's clean, it's right. That's the way God sees you. And let me, let me just, I want you to lean in for just another second. And because he sees me this way, we begin to see a couple of things differently. Number one, I get to see inward differently. I want to give you some freedom this morning. Because when God sees you, he sees Jesus. I want you to inwardly stop beating yourself up. There's no reason that you've got to stand in the mirror and go, man, I hate what I see. What I see is dirty. What I see is messy. What I see is, is filth. What I see is shame. What I see is guilt. I want you to stop beating yourself up because when God sees you, he sees Jesus. And I want you to begin to say, God, let me see what you see in me. God, let me see what you see. And can I just point out the obvious maybe that change is not going to come from you constantly pointing at and highlighting your faults. See, change comes when we turn the page and we allow what is a continuously saving God when we begin to allow Him to reauthor the story. We allow Him to start over. See, He continues to make me right inward. When He sees me, He sees Jesus. But here's what He also does. When I begin to get those things embedded in myself and I begin to live from those places, I begin to see outwardly differently. I begin to see other people with the possibility that they might become righteous too. Suddenly, I begin to see people the way God sees people. And when I begin to view people the way God sees people, I begin to say, wow, there's hope for everyone. And so all I do then is I become conduit to provide hope. All of a sudden, this awareness of me being righteous becomes, again, an avenue, a vehicle by which I'm going to view everybody. Doesn't matter if I identify completely with them, if I even fully like them. I know that when I see people, I see what? I see hope. I see, again, that God is a God of restoration, that he does those things. And can I, can I, can I be real with you for a second? I'm going to either, whether you give me permission to or not. I think that there's a lot of churches, and there's a lot of church folk, there's a good southern word, that get this wrong because of where we immediately want to start. It's almost going to be real blunt. I don't think our culture needs any more behavioral modification lectures. I think what they need is display of God's grace. Guys, I don't think people need to be hit upside the head. And I'm not telling you that behavioral modification is not part of the process. I'm just telling you it's not the starting place. And so I don't think that we've got to lead with, you know what? You're tired of some things? Then do some things different. No, just let people be for a second. Or better yet, we be. We be patient. And we be kind. And we be loving. And we be gracious. 
We become those things, again, so that it serves as a conduit to getting people in touch with the God of great transformation so that guess what happens in the end? Behavioral modification. Better yet, maybe some of us need some behavioral modification. But I'm just telling you, it's not the starting place. And so when we begin to live that way, when we become less about what we do and more about who we are, who we be, then I think we're, we're well on our way. So we live that way. And here's, here's the beauty in a skeptical world. And I don't know about you, I know skeptics. People look at this and go, this is crazy, this is foolishness. And you know what I found that people can't argue with? A changed life. I don't know what it is. I don't know if I believe in God. I'm not sure about this whole faith thing, but I can tell you, they're not the same. And so when we become changed, it becomes great testimony. And you can't argue with people that have changed when they become something. And that happens again through the cross. I'm about to really hit the gas here. Second, he says, listen, through this you become my holiness. You become justification. That's a big church word that means this, is that in this moment God declares you holy. See, through Jesus you are declared holiness. And like righteousness, there's nothing you can do to get this other than receive it. It's these moments where it's not about what I do because I can. It's about what he does. And that is, again, that is power. That's power. See, when we begin to live into this, when we begin to reflect more and more and more about what God has done and how he's been good and God is so good, let me tell you about it. When those kinds of things happen, it does a couple of things. It leads us to worship. And when we're led to worship where we are constantly making God holy and reminding ourselves of his holiness and his faithfulness, his goodness, transformation begins to happen. See, through the cross, we become holy. We become justified. And in that, get this, we start to become who God already says we are. So there's no reason, again, to beat yourself up and go, I'll never get holy. Yes, you will, because Jesus. And that's powerful. That's powerful. And one more. He says in verse 30, as we kind of end this, he says, listen, he also becomes my redemption. Becomes my redemption. Meaning that he is the one who sets me free. It comes with this, this, this meaning of I'm liberated. See, this, this goes all the way back to Egypt. When God redeemed, when he was the redemptive factor in freeing his people. And see, through the cross, he frees us. He liberates us through Jesus. I'm set free. I'm set free from sin. I'm set free from a past. I'm set free from guilt. I'm, I'm set free from being ashamed. I'm set free from fear. I'm set free from worry. I'm set free from death. And here's what I love about it is that we don't have to fight for redemption. No, we live from Jesus' redemption. We begin to live from what he did through the cross. And guys, that's powerful. It's game-changing. That's the big picture play call. For the message of the cross is foolishness. What? To those who don't understand. But for those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And God does all of this so that we then point back to him. Verse 31, he says this as we close. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in or about the Lord. And I want to point out again something obvious. I promise I'm shutting this down. Because we don't have anything as individuals. And we don't have anything as a church to offer the world other than what it already has outside of Jesus. 
I want you to hear that. We don't have anything to offer the world outside of what it already has other than Jesus. There's financial help out there. There's marriage counseling out there. There's programs out there. I mean, there's all sorts of things out there, right? And don't get me wrong, community is important. But let's be honest. I mean, I can find community outside of a house group, right? Because I can hit up any local bar tonight and find community. I can find, again, all of these programs that serve and love humanity and do great things for humanity. The difference maker in all of it is Jesus. And so when we begin to revel in that, when we understand that we can take ordinary things that the world already has, like community and all that, we can take those things and infuse in it this extraordinary power, this transformational power. When we begin to embrace that, here's what will happen. We will begin to embrace a crazy world. But it's not until then. So the more we infuse Jesus, we'll understand that Jesus will do crazy things that we can't, and all I've got to do is hop on for the ride. And I love this, and I want to take some pressure off of you, because when we begin to live into this crazy grace, you won't even have to share your faith. It'll share itself. It'll just overflow out of you. You won't ever have to pull up a chair in a break room and go, can I tell you about Jesus? They'll already know because you've lived transformed. You live with a different power. They'll already have known because they've seen and they've witnessed and they've watched your faith in action so many times. They might not have been able to put it to Jesus, but they would have known you're different. And in that, it takes all that pressure to, 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 to be on the lookout for just, just live, just be. There's a reason Jesus attracted crowds everywhere he went. By the way, they, they typically weren't crowds that are church crowds, but he attracted, and here's why. Grace attracts. Grace includes. Grace finds room. Grace leaves open empty chairs. Grace finds a way. Grace gives hope. Grace offers forgiveness. I'm going to ask you, who do you know that doesn't want or need some of that? So here's the encouragement. Just be crazy grace, and you never know what this is going to do. You have no clue what people are dealing with. You have no, no, no idea what they've gone through and come through. But when you just decide, I'm going to be grace, and I don't need to know all the stories, and I don't have to lead with behavioral modification, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm just in this moment, I'm going to be grace. They will begin to lean in. And they'll want to know how it is that you've changed so that they can change. Because crazy grace does crazy things. And it changes some pretty crazy situations. Father, this morning, I just pray that you will allow us to understand the true power that is found in the cross. As foolish as it sounds, as crazy as the play call seemed, for those of us who have been saved and are being saved and constantly covered by this, Father, we want to continue to be transformed. We want to continue to understand what you've done for us so that we can be a part of the conduit that does it for someone else. Father, we are so grateful that you're wiser than we are. You knew that we would need something we'd never be able to get on our own, so you made a way. And even in what seemed like a crazy play call, God, you made a way for me to do some things that are impossible. God, will you continue to do the impossible? I know you will. 
God, may we celebrate when you do something impossible. May we just live into the next page, the next chapter when we witness and experience something impossible. God, we pray that your crazy grace would continue to reign and be more and more evident in a crazy world. We pray this through your son's name. Amen.